Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. The Dairy Edge went live as part of the Chagas National Dairy Conference, where dairy farmer Dara Colleen and specialist Patrick Going joined us to discuss the targets set out in the Chagas Dairy Roadmap and consider how these targets can be achieved at farm level. First, though, we hear from Dara about his farming system. Farming here in Aircourt in County Galway, so a lot of our land runs along by the River Shannon. Um, this would have traditionally been a dry stock farm, so sheep and beef cattle. And uh, we made the decision in 2017 to uh, look into going into dairy farming. So I farm here with my dad, and two of us are in a registered farm partnership. And uh, 2019 was our first year in milk, so we milked 100 cows that year. And this is our second year, so we milked 150 cows this year. It's me and dad, he'd kind of be on a part-time basis at this stage. And then my fiance Beatrix and my daughter Isabella would be about now and again. And uh, the rest of it then is kind of contractors and part-time help. So I have one guy part-time during the week. And uh, I have another guy then who's in college and he comes part-time on the weekends and at holidays. So if you added in everybody, it's probably two people full-time. Uh, very young herd, so we have uh, 60% second calvers. 40% first calvers, so it's as young as you can get really. Uh, in our first year when we were all heifers, we did 380 kilos of milk solids off about, I think it was 540 kilos a meal. And then this year, we're due, due to sell about 420 kilos of milk solids, bit more meal due to the dry spell, so about 690 kilos this year. So fertility on the farm is, is good as you would expect with a young herd. So I think our first year we did 87% six week calving rate. This year we jumped up to 92 and uh, projected for next year to be quite high again, it'd be up around 90 again. Well, we prioritised our investments, so the stock was number one, so um, I bought the absolute best stock I could afford. We didn't really compromise on price. Then the next thing was what actually makes you the money, so that's your grass. So we receded a high percentage of the farm and we put in good roadways and good water systems, good infrastructure to let us get at that grass for a long grazing season. Um, we would have put in a, a 20 unit milking parlour, so we availed of the TAMS grant and um, we would have put in a lot of cubicles and everything required. And we were probably lucky enough that we had a lot of slurry, slurry storage available. There was sheds that we converted to calf sheds and calving sheds and we had an old sheep shed that we actually fitted a lot of cubicles into. So we really utilised what was on the farm and just added the new buildings around that. Was, uh, this year we'll grow 14 tonne. So there's definitely a bit of room for potential there. That includes some paddocks that were taken out for receding, so not all the ground was available included in that. Uh, grazing season will be quite long here. We're a very dry farm, so as cows calf from the 1st of February, they go out and they'll be still out until mid-November. So we'll be touching 280, 290 days of grass. And we'll go straight to you, Dara. Um, milking cows since 2019. Obviously, the conversion process starts a long time before that. Can you talk us through the starting point and maybe the non-negotiables um, in terms of where you invested your money? I suppose the first thing we did was develop a, a capital budget to see what investments were required on the farm. And uh, then through Patrick at the uh, Dairy Expansion Service, we would have developed a six-year business plan. So that really set it out the, the targets for the business going forward. Um, I suppose the non-negotiables really was the stock, so we wanted to start on the right note, so we spent quite a lot of time sourcing the right stock. Um, you know, I, I would have travelled the country and viewed many different bunches of stock before we actually settled on what we wanted. But I probably had an idea of the system I wanted to implement on the farm, it was a grass-based system. We've 
quite a dry farm, so I wanted to have a cow that was going to be able to um, utilize all of that on the farm, really. And, and looking then, you talk about, you know, the type of stock you wanted. You know, we look at maybe EBI and genetic merit as, you know, a starting point. What exactly were you looking for? Yeah, well, I wanted an animal that was going to graze grass for, for a long period of time. You know, as I said, already we have a dry farm, so I wanted an animal that would make use of all our farm. Um, we, we went for a high EBI crossbred animal, so, you know, EBI was the, the guide for what we wanted. And, um, you know, I spent some time in New Zealand and I just liked the systems implemented there. So I would have um, probably identified farmers who were doing the system that I wanted and contacted them to see if they had stock for sale or if they didn't they might have put me in touch with somebody doing a similar system and you know a, a full herd of heifers last year and you know 40 percent heifers 60 percent second lactation this year achieving really really good performance you know 380 kilos of milk solids last year and you know target are expected of 420 this year if we can take a step forward uh, to this herd as a mature herd what do you expect to see in terms of average milk solids produced yeah, well, the target really, and set out in our business plan, the target would be 500 kilos of milk solids per cow. Um, this year alone, looking back on our uh, milk recordings, so on a 305 day predicted, I have 10% of my second lactation cows doing over 500 already. So that would definitely be the target on about 500 kilos a meal, depending on weather events, that might increase a small bit, but it would be about that. And, you know, we have a, a cow that, when mature, will be 500 kilos live weight. So she will be doing her own live weight in, in milk solids on a low level of imported feed. And you talk about that low level of imported feed and high level of milk solids already. How are you achieving this? Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, you need your cows calving on time or, or you're not going to achieve a long grazing season. So we'd be hitting the targets for that. We did 92% six-week calving rate this year. It's going to be about 90 again next year. So we're getting a lot of cows calved in February. We have a dry farm, um, so we're getting cows out to grass as they calve. And um, I suppose we're setting the farm up well for the back end that we have grass to continue grazing into November. So final grazing was on 20th of November this year. We would have missed a few days here and there with weather events and dry spells. But, you know, we would have done 280, 290 days of grass this year. Um, I suppose grassland management then, you know, you can have your cows calved in February, but if you have no grass to get out, so we would be doing budgets and following the autumn rotation planner and all that kind of thing. And Patrick, when we consider the performance being achieved by Dara at this early stage, it is on par or maybe even better than, you know, existing dairy farmers. Is this something you would expect? And, you know, from your perspective on the outside looking in and knowing Dara's system, how is he doing it? Yeah, so I'm lucky enough in my day job to have dealt with a lot of new entrants and normally I suppose when we looked at new entrants coming out of the quota period, no one really knew how they were going to perform. And since then, there's a lot of people like Dara have blazed a trail in front of them. And what we would see is most new entrants by year two or three will be about the co-op average at least. And as the, the, the herd matures, and as, as we said already, like the heifer is about 75% mature yield, heifer is 80, 85%. Then when we get to a mature herd, they're usually in the top 20 to 10% of the, uh, uh, their own co-op. And Dara's exceeding that again. I think when we look at Dara and how he achieved it, so one is he spent time, and I think it's a great piece of advice for any new entrant, 
is he didn't just rock up and buy the first bunch of heifers he bought, uh, saw. Spent a lot of time, a lot of research, probably didn't tell you, it's a lot of up and down the country and in and out of yards to get the right stock. And that gave him the footing, so he had the right genetics on his farm day one. And then it's up to, that has, gives you potential, massive potential in them genetics. And it's up to the management then to deliver it. And from my perspective, uh, in talking to Dara from the early days, Dara does, everything is attention to detail. And the key to Dara's success is putting his money in the right place within the stock and on the, on the grazing infrastructure and managing it right. And it's basically as simple as sometimes as doing the right things at the right time and attention to detail. And that's how Dara is delivering on his potential of his genetics. Another aspect of the roadmap is um, herd maturity and you know lowering the amount of replacements you're bringing into the herd every year. This seems to be, um, I guess, a challenge on a lot of farms, Patrick. Um, you know, getting the to target average herd age is something that farmers aren't achieving. How could you like? What are the things that are missing in order to achieve this? Again, very similar. It's it, we have to have the genetics. Um, we have to be able to deliver on the genetics. And if we look at the roadmap. And one of the key focus areas on the roadmap is to continually incre increase the EBI, as we have done in the previous 10 years as well. It's to keep that drive on there. And when we get that fertility performance, that we can hold on to cows and get them to stay for longer lactations. It's critical from a financial point of view. So if we look at a business plan, and Dara's uh, new entrants and Dara alike are very good examples of this. So from a new entrance perspective, you, you invest all your stock, you sold all your stock. Uh, dry stock and you put them into dairy so you've basically cashed in your chips and you're ready to go with your dairy business and, and from a business plan point of view we have to make sure that we hold on to them stock to protect our cash flows but it also has a knock-on effect from an environmental point of view if we can get the, the girls that we have on the farm to last longer it takes less replacement so there's less it, it gets far more uh, it decreases the intensity of our carbon output so we can get more output over cows through fertility cows lasting longer in the system and then requiring less support sta staff, as I call them, or replacement heifers on the farm to keep that business running. And you just have a far more efficient system. And in that system, you also then have a more cash-friendly system because you have the right amount of productive animals on the farm comparable to your young stock. Okay, and, and we'll, we'll go to a question now um, for you, Dara, from mm -hmm. Peter. And he wants to know how is your farm performing versus the business plan projections? You know, I suppose we set out uh, quite a conservative business plan to mitigate against risk. You know, you, as a new entrant, you're going to have to borrow money. So um, I suppose we are in year two. Um, we did a six-year plan. We're exceeding our six-year targets in year two, be it with cow numbers and with output. Um, so we're probably ahead of where we saw ourselves being. Um, but you know, that leaves us in quite a good position to pay down our debt and to, I suppose, be profitable and enjoy what we're doing. Have you a comment on that, Patrick? You would have worked with Dara on the business plan. Yeah, so from in any business plan, I think it's prudent. And, and Dara, I remember when the day we were out, he always wanted to make sure he wanted to manage the risk. And one of them things, he was adamant that don't over, uh, over project the performance of the herd or milk price. And I think for anyone in any business plan, it makes sense to be prudent on that and keep it on a safe level. Uh, the fact that he grew his herd numbers quicker is a testament to his management and his stock he purchased in. But it, it, we would tend to go on a conservative level to give insurance to the business because it's, it's very important that we protect the cash flow in the first couple of years to get the business to a sound level and get the production up. So that's why we tend to go at a more conservative level. And I guess, you know, um, being so comfortable answering Peter's question, you're obviously reviewing the business plan. I guess, again, from your perspective, Patrick, completing these business plans with farmers, how regularly should they be reviewing business plans? 
Look, I, I sometimes say I have a great job because the minute I do a business plan, it's wrong the next day, so things changes. So the, the business plan is a living document. It changes over time. So it gives you a guidelines and targets and something to work towards, but different opportunities and different challenges that appear. And it's not that you have to sit down every day and revise it, but you should know, I think the key for the business plan is know the direction you want to drive in to keep you focused on that and where you want to get to. And I think at any point you should revisit it, look at what you set out initially, are you hitting your targets? And then maybe as things change or new opportunities arise and maybe you sit down and re revisit the business plan, update it and go again. And it's not just one thing, I suppose, probably a pet hate of mine is sometimes the business plan is for the bank and we get the money and we're right. It should be for your farm and your family to make sure the decisions you're making are right for you. Okay. And, and another question in uh, for you, Dara, from Michael. And he's wondering, what have you put in place in order to achieve 270, 280 days of grass? Yeah, well, I suppose we prioritise our investments. I mean, you have a lot of money to spend as a new entrant, so you need to get the biggest return on whatever you put your money into. So, like, we had invested in good stock, but, I mean, the good stock aren't going to do the output if the grass isn't available or if they can't get out at days at grass to get onto it. So we would have receded. We definitely front-loaded a lot of the receding, so we did probably 80% was ready for year one in milk. So we did another 10% this year, so there's only 10% remaining. Um, we put in, I suppose, very good roads and like not just good finish surface, but we put in quite wide roads to manage cow flows. You know, if you're putting 150 cows across maybe a five foot road, it's going to take you a long time. So we put in quite wide roads. Um, we put in very good water infrastructure. Um, and I suppose, yeah, we're, we're probably prepared to do all the extra work involved in getting out of grass, so strip roads, or strip, yeah, strip roads. Um, you know, spur lanes, uh, going with front fences, back fences, watching the weather. Um, it's just, it's, it's a accumulation of all the small things, really. And I guess moving on then um, from, I suppose, the, the environmental uh, emphasis we see in the latest iteration of the Chagas Dairy Roadmap, um, if we consider your farm, what are the key technologies that you're engaging with and implementing on your farm from an environmental conscious point of view? Yeah, well, I suppose, Emma-Louise, I was lucky in um, 2018. I was given the opportunity to become a, a focus farmer with my co-op. So I, I, t I was delighted to get that. So, um, you know, as part of that, we were probably shown the benefits of the likes of protected urea, low emission slurry spreading. So we implemented them from day one. So they're the two biggest ones you can, you can chase. Uh, clover is another one. So we have a plan in place to introduce clover onto the farm. Um, we have a lot of biodiversity on the farm, so we have 10 kilometres of hedgerows, we have two kilometres of river access. Our farm is probably uh, very different in its uh, layout to a lot of dairy farms in that two-thirds of our land is away from home. So we have over 100 acres of land that's a special area of conservation and it's farmed under designation. And uh, this land is also in Gloss under the Geese and Swan. So there's quite severe restrictions in how we manage this land and let's say destocking it from October to March. And, all this kind of thing. So I guess it's just an, an awareness of all the uh, products and mechanisms that are available to us on implementing them on farm. I suppose um, another one then is the high EBI cow. She's seen to be a more efficient cow, so she's going to uh, produce more milk solids from less feed. And um, I suppose just the feed levels, we're, we're trying to have as much uh, of the diet homegrown as possible. And uh, I suppose one other final measure then is on the meal we're actually feeding. We're trying to feed as low a crude protein meal as we can, you know, so we're just trying to do a bit of everything really. 
And you've skimmed over the biodiversity in terms of hedgerows and, and um, you know, the, the geese and swan uh, life that, that exists on the outblock. Can you give us some more insight into that? And, and, you know, do you see this as a barrier to production or is this something that works hand in hand with what you're doing in your dairy system? No, well, I suppose we're lucky in the fact that the home farm uh, is not tied up in that, so we can farm that independently. But uh, I think there's great opportunity in this land to have it in the system and develop an, a farming system that complements it. So I suppose it's lower intensity uh, type of farming. So we're rearing heifers on this and we're kind of trying to develop a, a heifer sales enterprise on this land to utilize it. Um, you know, you, you're not really going with any fertilizer. You're, you're just a bit more conscious of, of how you manage it really. Um, there's two kilometers of river access, as I've said. So this year alone, we, we invested 100 euro an acre on a 60 acre block to fence off all water courses. We put in a, a water system on this, so it takes stock out of the river. It's, it's protecting the riverbed and you know, you're just reducing uh, chances of pollution on that front. Okay, a question in then for you um, from George uh, Dara. Um, what is the soil fertility like on your farm? Yeah, I suppose in credit to my dad, fertility on the farm was very good. Um, you know, we joined the soils program again with the co-op, so we're soil sampling every 12 months for the first few years, just when there's a lot of change and a lot of grass green being grown, you know, an index could drop if you're pulling off a lot of silage or a lot of surplus bales. Um, so we'd be indexed to uh, three and four and uh, soil pH would be very good. So each time we receded a paddock, we tried to address that individual paddock and get it right at the time. Um, and you know, then in the spring, we'd be going with our low emission slurry and let's say any paddock that surplus bales come off, we're, we're going with protected urea and, and K as well at the time. Or if not, we're, if we're not going with protected urea, we will go with the, with the dribble bar. Okay, and we're going to take a step back, Patrick, in relation to a comment that you've made and a question from Tim. If you increase cow lifespan and reduce your replacement rate, do you lose genetic potential? No, so you gain genetic potential from what you breed off. Like your, your young stock is where you, you gain your genetic potential. Because you slow down your replacement rate, you won't, obviously, the, the rate of change, like if you turn your herd every, if you have 33% replacement rate, you turn your herd every three years, and assuming that your heifers are high genetic merit, you will, you'll increase the gain. What you're getting when you, when you reduce the, when we're talking about 18%, we're not talking about dropping it down to 10% or anything like that, no, we're talking targeting 18, 20%. So it's still a good level of turnover, it's trying to hit the balance between not letting the herd get too stale, and you'll still get good genetic gain. But the genetic gain is based on, and look, and we'll all start it again next spring, it's the straws you put in next spring will land the year after. So it's a slow process anyway, and if we don't make the maximum gain from our breeding decisions, then regardless of the replacement rate, we won't make that gain. Um, on it so we have to have make sure we make the right breeding decisions every year and that's cumulative so once we get it in place as in Dara's herd it's there and we can build on that. And a, a business plan question um, you know for, for both of you um, from Patrick so for for you what uh, base uh, cent per litre do you use in business plans that you work on and then what did you use yourself Dara? So we'll go to you first Patrick. So for all the business plans we complete, we use 28 centilitre base price, so that'd be including, inclusive of VAT. And we make a milk solids adjustment, and I would use about €5.50 Euro a kilo of protein and €2.50 Euro a kilo of fat. And to answer Dara's question, that's what I use for Dara's plan as well. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I yeah, guess... Yeah, well, I suppose just on that, Emily, we, we would have stressed it, and I was very happy with how we stressed it, and then in reality, uh, we're achieving... 
probably five cent above co-op average as an average. So, you know, it really reduces the risk of something going wrong. And I guess this is all what you're talking about. Dara's strategy was to protect the business and minimise any risk coming in. From a new entrant point of view, when we look at it, obviously we had to go to the bank to, for a level of investment. So you have a new person in, we don't know, we have to go a level of conservatism. So if we were going back now uh, to the bank again, if some opportunity came up for Dara, we have previous history now, so we can use Dara's figures, say, yes, look, he's five cent above the average, which is probably seven cent a litre above the base. We can build that into the business plan from a starting point and as a new entrant day one, we, we, we have to wait and see and build that conservatism. But he's next, when we revise the business plan again, we'll be able to work on what he's currently delivering. And if we look at another aspect of sustainability, you know, we talk about social sustainability and, and the labour on the farm. Again, this appears in the roadmap. You know, you've made a, a massive change to the farm over the last two years, moving from a dry stock farm and I guess a total shift in the type of labour required. Can you give us in, some insight into how this has worked for you, the family farm, and you know, how your day-to-day -day life has changed? Yeah, I suppose, Emma Louise, it depends who you talk to about going into dairy farming. Some people will be very negative and tell you you're tied to it, you're going to be doing 14 milkings a week, and then you'll talk to other people who are very positive about it. And I suppose I didn't just want to milk cows and pump litres out the gate, I wanted to do the things right. Um, so I suppose from the time I'd spent in New Zealand, I had seen how lifestyle comes into it as well, and it's probably influenced a lot of what I've done. Um, so I suppose we put in good facilities, number one. Um, we have a 20 unit milking parlour, we put eight, eight rows of cows per milking through it this year. Um, it's a nice place to work, you know, uh, if you're working on the farm I, I could try and give you good notice of what your hours will be and what I expect you to do. Um, the small things such as putting a radio on the milking parlour, you know, that I have two guys that do um, kind of regular relief milking for me and I'm pretty confident that they enjoy coming down to the place. Um, you know, there's other simple things like just embracing technology, putting in cluster removers, you know, things like an automatic washer, automatic drafting gate, yeah, they all cost money, but put it out over a period of time and you experience the benefits of it. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives to it. And, you know, um, I suppose if you treat people right when they come into the farm, they're, they're going to be more willing to come on board with you. And, yeah, I'm very happy with how it's gone. I'd say we probably, I don't know if we work harder or not as hard, but it's definitely more structured work. And I suppose with a young family, I can plan my time off and, you know, we, we set out the farm that the farm works for us at times of the year. So let's say breeding season, I restrict that to 10 weeks. So in April, we'll try and get away for a weekend and just clear the head before you head back into breeding. And then just other things like that. I, I'm happy enough at times to take time off and just trust somebody that comes into the farm to do, do the essential work. And I think that's a really good point that you, you know, trust the people around you that they know what they're doing and they'll probably do it as well as you will and um, you could maybe do with the break at times. Yeah, well, just on that, like, you know, I've learned an entire new skill set in three years, two years, three years. So, like, of course, anybody else, given the right training and the right time and don't put them under pressure, of course they're going to be able to learn it. It's not rocket science. It does need to be done right. But if you give someone the time, you will be able to train them. Yeah. I think the benefit there, Emily, is so it's a very simple system that he's implemented and that makes it easier for you to train mm -hmm. um, any outsider into the business like it's a very very and Dara's very clear in his mission if you like where he wants to be so that helps it's very clear in everything he comes across to anyone who walks into the yard 
And a question for you in, in terms of um, the targets you set out to achieve from Tom uh, Dara. He said you're already achieving your targets. What are the biggest challenges for your business going forward? Um, biggest challenges, yeah. Well, look, you're going to have volatility in price and things like that, and you're going to have external factors such as Brexit and COVID. I mean, things like that are always going to change. Maybe labour, we're very lucky at the minute with the guys that are available to me. So um, I'm heavily reliant really on, on casual labour and relief people. There's, there's no full-time staff on the farm. So maybe that's a challenge going forward. Um, outside of that, I don't know. It's, it's a low-risk business what we've implemented. So I don't know. We try to, to be preemptive on what we've done. We spent a lot of time planning to to minimize these risks so uh, there's nothing major really but volatility but again if we're delivering a good price above base again we're mitigated against that and patrick in light of the the new changes and in introductions to the fourth iteration of the chagas dairy roadmap you know are you taking a, any different sort of approach to the business plans you make for new entrant and existing dairy farmers no, um, I think everything that's in the dairy roadmap uh, would be. We, uh, Dara's an example of it. Like so, everything he implemented was, from my perspective, was implemented to protect the business in that vulnerable period, as we mentioned before, in the first three years. So, sourcing the right stock, getting the right performance, maximizing your amount of grass into them, uh, uh, not overly investing. While he did put in a good parlor, there was a lot of housing and that that you used existing sheds there. So, putting your money, he, all his investment was put in high return stuff. And if we look at what's on the roadmap, like so having more productive cows that last longer, utilizing more grass, they're all positives from a cash point of view, so why would I change? And the other, uh, increasing clover to reduce your nitrogen input, that's a positive. So there's no negative there from a bit, so I don't, the, the business plan will be insured by following the, the roadmap because it's best practice and that's all Dara has done. So the reason why we, Dara went down that road, it's best practice is the way he went. That ensures the business plan and it also, is the best thing going forward from an environmental point of view, from a sustainability point of view. And, and just follow on from that, like a comment, you know, a barrier or a challenge that people would see for some of these new technologies, like you're saying that Dara is seeing a return for it and it is best practice. Is there a big cost to, you know, investing in these um, environmentally sustainable technologies? No, uh, I don't think so. Look, they're potentially from the uh, EBI and source and right stock, if you're a new entrant example, that will be a bit dearer than the, the average. But as Dara has shown, that whatever, it's usually probably 100, 150 euro. Dara probably in the differential, you'll have that med back within a year. If them animals last for five, six, seven years, the return is massive. The receding point of view is reducing these feed costs. So again, there is an cost to the uh, receding, but the return is huge. It's probably a bit of a capital cost around the less. Some people use contractors, some people buy the machine. But again, what we'd find and listen to all the other presentations that went out over the last two days, like the, the practice, it's a lot more usable, get more nitrogen out of it, and they can implement it more on their grazing platforms. Uh, the clover is a benefit, as I said. So no, there's, there's no major cost. Like this is all a win-win from a farmer point of view. It's good for the environment and it's good for the pocket. Some more questions uh, for mm -hmm. the audience. Uh, to you, Dara, um, a listener has sent in, are you rearing your own heifers? We are, yeah. And um, we're, we're, I suppose, the last two years I've bought in extra heifers just to utilize the outside land and, and graze that grass that we're growing. So um, we're probably, we're rearing extra heifers with the plan to sell them, but that's just to utilize the own land that we own 
and I suppose um, make use of that really. And and on that, you know, you know, retaining your own heifers, um, you know, a question that often comes up in terms of sustainability would be, you know, the male calves. What are you doing with male calves? You know, what sort of an, um, an arrangement have you for that? Yeah, well, a uh, beef farmer in Ballinasloe took all my male calves this year. Um, we suppose you have to look at every option available to you. So I did a, used a bit of Wagyu straws this year. So um, there was a small interest from a, a chef running a few restaurants in Galway that could be a potential outlet for them. So that's another part of it. And we're absolutely going to um, start using sex semen. So I'm in the process of doing a deal for collars. So that will give me better uh, information on the correct timing for the sex semen. And um, I suppose we can carry more heifers than we would if we were breeding conventionally and having 50% females and 50% males, we can carry more heifers than that. So by the use of sex, it will give us uh, enough stock to uh, utilize that outside land in a sustainable manner. And to you, Patrick, a question in from Adam. How important is working capital and building in a cash reserve in expenditure plans? Uh, it's essential. Um, so like in, a, in, a, in a, the capital budget itself, look, I, I think a small project, like if you're putting a two-span add-on, the budget is small. You don't need a whole lot of an overrun, but if you're look, looking to build contingencies in, but if you look at large capital projects like conversion, like what Dara did, or on other people, or even existing farmers looking at it, and we would tend to build in a contingency of 10 to 15 percent. And from a working capital, where what you're bringing to the table yourself, I suppose the bank are very interested in that from their point of view, from a loan application. Like so, a bank won't 100 percent finance the, the proposal, so you have to bring something to the table yourself. So, in Dara's scenario, they bought the stock, so they bought the value of the stock. That was a good proportion of the overall investment and then the, the bank would have done the, the longer term stuff on the concrete. Just to comment on that, Emma Louise, I suppose when I met the banks and I met a few banks and I was lucky to get some of them out on farm at the time and I could show them EBIs and I suppose co-op performance reports from some of the other farms I had bought from so I could show them exactly what potential was there for these animals and you know I think it gave them a bit of confidence in the system then at that point. And you mentioned, um, I, I suppose, another aspect of you know what what you did was some you know a, a good parlour and automation in it. But talk through the the buildings, Dara, and in terms of you know what you had that you could use in the short term. Yeah, well, I suppose we tried to. I we kept our dry stock system going for as long as we could to provide us with cash flow and keep them stock in the system. So we for the first year or two we outwintered our dairy animals as weanlings. Then I suppose their first winter they were on slats and we kept sheep in our sheep shed. We still kept cash in the business by being able to sell the sheep. Then in our first year in milk production we were able to convert the sheep shed to a cubicle shed. So like while we did put in the parlour and all that on day one, we kind of stretched out everything else as far as we could. So we put in a 20 unit milking parlour, um, quite uh, modern I suppose uh, handling facilities. We have 180 cubicles on farm, and we were lucky really that there was a lot of slurry storage on farm. So, um, you know, calf sheds and calving sheds were available. So we were really lucky, I suppose, at what was on farm and just work around that. And, and one or, or two la uh, brief questions to, to finish. Uh, Dara, your plans regarding cow numbers for the farm? Yeah, well, look at it. I'm fairly happy with where we are now with output wise and I suppose workload wise. I'm certainly not going chasing numbers, I think. Um, I am going to milk a few more cows next year, but that's purely driven on grass growth figures on the farm. Um, I suppose the best way for us to um, 
I suppose make money for the next few years is just to consolidate, let the herd mature, as Patrick has said, uh, and take it from there. And I suppose just fine tune everything. Um, it's our, our focus really for the next few years is very much inside the farm gate. And, and, and last question then um, from the audience. Um, how are you matching your, I suppose, your demand with your grass supply? Um, well, look, at we're, we're trying to grow as much as we can you know, during the year we're not using excessive levels of nitrogen but a lot of it comes back to planning so your autumn rotation planner gives you your grass available for the spring and your spring rotation planner pretty much gives you your grass available for the summer months so uh, a lot of grass measuring I'd be doing 40 plus grass walks a year and um, I suppose that to grow that grass you need all your indexes right as well so uh, yeah it just c comes back to I suppose the use of pasture base and, and grass measurement Okay, and look, one more good question, and so we'll take it, um, Dara. Um, you know, c the conversion process, is there anything you would do differently? Yeah, um, not a lot, to be honest, Emma Louise. We spent over a year planning this out and meeting with the likes of Patrick, and I joined a discussion group in 2017 when Darian was only a pipe dream, so I brought a lot of people on the farm, and I've consulted as many people as I could, and I suppose I... I uh, put a bit of information from everyone I met and put it all together and we didn't make too many mistakes no maybe I know at the time the focus farm group were saying maybe I could carry a few more cows in year one but I mean if you're a new entrant facing 95 heifers it's pretty daunting so uh, no I, I'm pretty happy with how it, it, it worked out but I mean we, we spent a lot of time planning it and we made our mistakes on paper and no it's, it's gone as planned and we're very very happy with how it's worked out. And the final question, uh, again to you, Dara, um, you know, we, we've discussed it and the business plan was set out as a, mm. a six-year plan and, and you've achieved it at a very rapid pace. You know, what is next for you? Uh, I don't know, Emma Louise. As I said already, I'm not going chasing, Anthony. Um, it's been a very, very busy few years, okay, managing a dry stock enterprise, managing a conversion, learning a full new skill set and getting used to everything. So I think I want to enjoy the next year or two let the herd settle down and really get good at everything else. Not that we're struggling on anything too badly, but just consolidate really for the time being, let the herd mature and uh, I suppose enjoy it and have time for things outside of farming. You know, it's very important not just to get fully fixated on cows or cow numbers or output or anything like that. I think the, the discussion we've had this evening has answered the question we have asked from the outset. Yes, the Chagas Dairy Roadmap, tar roadmap targets are achievable and we see um, plenty of examples of it across the country with farmers like Dara, whom we consider farming is a sustainable and profitable system. Um, my thanks to the panel of Dara and Patrick for joining me this evening, uh, Declan on production, and to James Dunn, dairy specialist, for helping us organise this session. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast, and my thanks to Dara Colleen and Patrick Going for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.